Welcome back to another episode of the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina. We're going to talk about a little of this and a little of that. Starting off with some sad news. Lisa Marie Presley passed away due to cardiac arrest. I believe that happened yesterday because I woke up and got the news today. So that is some tragic news because, you know, she's still young. She was still young when, unfortunately, tragedy has struck. And she is the only daughter of Elvis Presley. So for those following the legacy of, I'm sure this was an even more heartbreaking day. I'm sure shortly there'll be a hologram with a message from the still alive Elvis Presley telling the world about how sad he is about the loss of his daughter since some fans believe that that man is still ticking. No disrespect to Lisa Marie, but her father was a pedophile. What? What? Look it up. Don't take my word for it. His wife was like 15. Way too fucking old to be dating a grown ass man. And it'd just be so weird that they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I liked you when you were that age and I just waited for you to grow up. That's still fucking weird. Oh, that's nasty. Oh, they're so nasty. <laughs> Y'all heard that shit, right? On principle alone, if I knew you as a child, we cannot fuck. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. On a happier note, Stranger Things star Noah Snap came out as gay on Thursday afternoon, to which anyone who has been paying attention responded, I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. Later, a friend of his posted a TikTok joking about the public's reaction to his announcement. The viral video shows teens hearing the news before panning to the young star himself. I thought it was a very appropriate thing to do for an 18 year old growing up in this generation i remember when shy was like no i don't think that character is gay and i'm like (laughs) well he been eyeballing mike for a hot minute for a hot minute you so fucking precious when you smile from the back and drive you here's the story i thought was absolutely batshit crazy and i never heard about but it has not been disputed by the bobby brown or whitney houston estate well only one has a state because one is deceased and the other is bobby brown but it goes something like this the story was captured in a book written by ex-convict david collins who was a member of the New York gang known as the Preacher that kidnapped Houston's husband, Brown. First and foremost, the Preacher does not sound like a gang. It sounds as if it is the name of a TV series that also involved a man 
that wasn't quite holy. show me and shy never finished but was still a decent but frustrating run through nevertheless brown was said to have owed twenty five thousand in drug debt and was later handed over to the notorious gang who then kidnapped him and after a series of battering asked him to call his diva wife for a ransom of four hundred thousand dollars that is quite the interest Bitch, but I have my money Whitney Houston said, apparently, I'm not going to call the police. I'm going to handle this shit myself. Maybe because it's fucking embarrassing. So she disguised herself in a wig and glasses and secretly brought the ransom to rescue her wayward husband from the preacher's grip. The preachers continued their drug related raids, torturing victims who had no money to pay and cutting off their body parts before killing them in a gruesome fashion. So apparently Bobby Brown owed money to the wrong drug dealers. God motherfucking damn. I'm tired of niggas. God damn it. I'm tired of niggas. She then berated her husband all the way home. That crack is weak. Crack is whack. (laughs) Crack is cheap. (laughs) I'm in love with the coco. I'm in love with the coco. I'm a thought. I'll own it. I'm not ashamed. I know, I know. Too soon, too soon. <laughs> I mean, a toasty like a marshmallow in hell. I know. Uh, but she knew. We fuck with the white motherfuckers or the, 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 the Dominicans or the, or the, <laughs> can't even think of the other cartel, but you sure shit. Don't hang with the homies. Even I know that and I am not interested in drugs at all. (laughs) Fucked up to say. Lonnie G. Johnson is a former Air Force and NASA engineer who invented the number one top selling water toy of all time. This was sent to me by Mimi. The super soaker as well as Nerf guns were invented by this man who in 1989 formed his own engineering firm and licensed his most famous invention to Lamari Corporation or Lorami Corporation. Two years later, the Super Soaker generated $200 million in retail sales alone. It became the number one selling toy in America. Lorami Corporation was eventually purchased by Hasbro Corporation, the second largest toy manufacturer in the world. Over the years, Super Soaker sales have totaled close to $1 billion. Currently, Lonnie Johnson holds over 100 patents with over 20 more pending and is the author of several publications on spacecraft systems. Two of Johnson's companies, Accelatron Solid State and Johnson Battery Technologies, Inc. or JBT for short, are developing revolutionary 
energy technology for the future. Proud of your boy. If this black meteor man could not do any more, it turns out that Lonnie Johnson has worked on outer planetary spacecraft that went to Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. His Johnson Thermo Electrochemical Converter, JTEC, technology was named by Popular Mechanics as one of the top 10 world-changing technologies in 2008. While watching House of the Dragon, I made a joke about how while in European countries, sure, the death rate for child mortality deaths were significantly high, that it wasn't necessarily the case around the world <laughs> due to how advanced and the continued uh, conclusion that despite where the descendants of Europeans ended up in the long run a lot of that information that they got was already was co-opted by those that came before you know and the and the true the true innovation that many people of different cultures have given to the world is rather understated in the shadow of that parthenia sent me a video that spoke to that topic which is how Ugandan women and other African countries were able to successfully carry out not only deliveries of children but c-sections and if you are ever in a delivery room the first thing uh, that the nurses will say is that the children with the highest rate of survival are black female babies as of the late mid 18th century when western women relied on the life-threatening cesarean to save themselves or their unborn child if vaginal delivery was impossible the vast majority died as a result of the procedure at the same time however midwives in the african countries of uganda tanzania and the congo were successfully helping women deliver babies through c-sections and survive the operation it is thanks to the extremely detailed, not for the squeamish among us, so you have been forewarned, uh, yet fascinating account of one such delivery documented by Robert Falcon, a medical missionary who went to Uganda in 1878 with the Church Mission Society that the Western world leaned or learned how Africans had been successfully delivering healthy babies. And promptly stole that shit like they did everybody did the house. Stolen. You knew I couldn't let that pass by, but seriously, you're considered inferior, so it didn't matter how successful our stats were. <laughs> we know best. According to Vivian Kabuskini Birchall a TV producer who also teaches African history and culture. This sort of procedure was centuries old and is still carried out today in rural port parts of sub-Saharan Africa. According to Birchall, the cesarean witnessed by Falcon was just an everyday practice in the Banyoro Kingdom in Western Uganda. K 
carried out by an expert male practitioner and his male assistants, the mother-to-be would be strapped down to a bed and given banana wine to act as an anesthetic. It would also be used as an antiseptic. Held down by the assistants, the woman was then operated on using rudimentary tools such as a red hot iron to carefully cauterize wounds and metal spikes to close the incision I know every woman just grabbed their stomach like, no. The practitioner could safely ensure the success of the operation. Through Falcon's notes, we can see just how careful the practitioner was in his treatment of the uterus during and after the delivery, helping to prevent any excess blood loss and future infection. Yet perhaps it is the treatment of the wound once it, it was closed that might seem the most incredible. Thanks to the combination of two chewed roots, a touch of spit, and a banana leaf, the wound healed beautifully, and when Falcon left the woman 11 days post-delivery, both she and her child were recovering well. Skip ahead a few fucking centuries. When the 29-year-old suburban Atlanta mom of five weeks in 2020 started throwing up and couldn't stop she was told by these medical professionals that it's normal that it's just morning sickness that things will get better at 13 weeks she lost 20 pounds her son is now 18 months and she is now in her second trimester of an unplanned pregnancy once again dealing with severe nausea and vomiting this story is close to me because it is exactly what happened to me and the sad thing is like this woman i believe her name is Furch, the last name unfortunately often these things go untreated or undertreated because the condition is misunderstood or downplayed by doctors or even patients themselves there are a lot of unknowns around the cause of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Research has indicated that genetics play a role in its severity and hyper, uh, hyperpemesis is estimated to occur in up to 3% of pregnancies, but there's no clear line differentiating morning sickness from hyperemesis or consistent criteria to diagnose the condition which McGibbon said results in underestimating its impact. This is something that I strongly would suggest in the 21st century that more people pay attention to because to this day, I've, I've had, my sister's had four children. <laughs> I've got other people. It's all, everyone has had nothing but normal pregnancies not a whole bunch of morning sickness and yet I could not for the first about five months of my pregnancy keep anything down nothing I just kept throwing up and everyone told me it's just morning sickness and there could have been something it turns out I had premature baby too so lord knows what this could have been an early sign of so I hope they do in the future 
do more research or just fucking go to Africa to get the answers. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about memory. Think back to that particular event that happened at least five years ago. Maybe it was a wedding or a family gathering or a dinner you went to with friends or a vacation. Pick one for our purpose here and remember the event. I'm going to give you three seconds. Remember the people and where you were and maybe you can remember the weather or what you were wearing. We tend to experience our memories of events like this as little movie clips that play back in our minds. And because we experience them this way, we have a tendency to think that memories are stored in entirety and never change. But that's not what happens. Memories are reconstructions. Our memories are actually reconstructed every time we think of them. They aren't movie clips that are stored in the brain in a certain location like files on a hard drive. Instead, they are nerve pathways that are firing anew each time we remember the event. This makes for some interesting effects. For example, your memory can change. Subsequent events can affect the memory. Other events that occur after the original event can change the memory of the original event. At the original event, you and your cousin were close friends. But later on, you have an argument and a falling out that lasts for years. Your memory of the first event might include your cousin being aloof in code, even if that is not true. The later experience has now changed your memory. Just think about that for a second, because our perception of our past is based on more of what kind of happens in our future or can infect what happens to in our future. Mixing events, it is easy to start mixing up memories so that things that happen at two separate events become fused into one. Your cousin was pleasant at one event and not pleasant at the other, but over time your memories about which is which can become confused. It's why communication is one of the most important fucking things that the species has to be able to uh, have a collective idea of something (laughs) versus yourself who is unintentionally and unconsciously an unreliable narrator. Filling in the gaps. You also start to fill in your memory gaps with made up sequence of events, but these will seem as real to you as the original event. You can't remember who else was at the family dinner But Aunt Jolene is usually present at these events. And so over time, your memory of the event will include Aunt Jolene, whether she was there or not. It's this idea of our memory that has brought into question the validity of eyewitness testimony. Elizabeth Loftus of one of the earliest psychology researchers to study reconstructive memory was studying eyewitness testimonies and was especially interested in whether language can affect memory. In her research, Loftus would show a video clip of an automobile accident. Then she would ask a series of questions about the accident. She would change the way she worded the questions, for example. Sometimes she would phrase it as, how fast would you estimate the car was going when it hit the other vehicle? Or how fast would you estimate the car was going when it smashed the other vehicle? 
and she would ask participants in the study if they remembered seeing broken glass. When she used the word smash, the estimated speed was higher than when she used the word hit. And more than twice as many people remembered seeing broken glass if the word smash was used rather than the word hit. Meaning we have memories based on word association. Oh my. It's this research that has prompted a lot of legal movement to get eyewitness testimony thrown out because the process of going through a trial in itself and prepping for said trial automatically begins to change everyone's recall of said events. So what's the impact? Since memories are reconstructed, here are some things to keep in mind. The words you use are important. I've been saying this and I've been understanding it more, especially since I've been on recently been on chat versus being on the phones. And so I get to have a little bit more time to think about how I want to say what I want to say. And I find myself realizing there are trigger words that I can easily take away and put in to change the narrative of the conversation. They can actually affect people's memories. You can't rely on self-reports of past behavior. People will not remember accurately what they or others did or said. Watch out for how and what you say if you are interviewing people. For example, interviewing users for a usability or user experience study. You can influence their responses with the words you use. Similarly, take what users say later when they are remembering using an interface with a grain of salt. It's being reconstructed. Like, oh, you know what? I remember. Yeah, they're making it up at that point. They're guessing. If you would like to read some of her seminal work, I will add that information below in the show notes. Since we are on the topic of psychology, here's a few other interesting facts. Individuals who have a deep sense of guilt are better at identifying the emotions and concerns of the people around them. It is a psychological fact that we become tension free about our work having no deadline. So we delay it even if it is essential and do unimportant things instead. So for example, students do their work on the last night, even if they get one week for it. It takes about 66 days for an average individual to make something a daily habit. According to psychology, if you hide any feelings like guilt, hate, love, surprise, etc., there are chances that these feelings increase day by day. If the next person doesn't know what you feel about them, then it's natural that you become irritated by them or get quiet. And these hidden feelings indeed become stronger So it would help if you always told these feelings to at least somebody to feel relaxed and calm. Every psychiatrist everywhere. Come on. Look at me. When you're alone. I think this one is pretty subjective, but food prepared by someone else tastes much better than your own preparation, even when you use the same recipe. I would say that's correct, but there are moments where I'm like, shit, I put my foot in that. Just put my foot in that. Oh, God, it's so good. Mmm. 
Mmm, so good. Mmm, so good and tasty. If a pretty woman or the woman a man likes is around, then the behavior of men can become weird. So if you see an odd behavior of men around you, know that either he likes you or you are so pretty. Shy people tell others very little about themselves, but they do it in quite a manner that makes other individuals believe they know them better than they actually think they do. I don't need y'all giving away my secrets. (laughs) It's funny because Mimi will say that all the time or a few other people, my one friend Amelia is like, oh, you're not shy. And I'm like, well, not in the way you think I am. (laughs) I've learned to get way better than when I was 13 years old at, at building up, building up that China wall. It is a psychological fact that if kids see their father doing things like cooking, cleaning, etc., there are fewer chances that they will fall into stereotyped gender roles. I I feel like you need to throw that at your man's, Mimi. (laughs) Like, look, look, you need to, you need to help your son. People would rather change the truth than change their views about people. Amen to that shit. While women too have fits of possessiveness, men are much more likely to become violent when they are faced with a threat to their love life or territory. I think this goes down to evolution. Men are bred. It is genetically in their DNA to fight for the right to mate. And to do that, to carry on their genes, that that territorial sense is their base emotion. So, of course, yes, any threat to their love life is going to result in someone getting punched the fuck out. While females are usually considered the more emotional gender, infant boys are more emotionally reactive and expressive than infant girls, researchers have found. That makes sense, but there is more to it. Adult men have slightly stronger emotional reactions too, but only before they are aware of their feelings. Found in a 2008 study published in the Scandinavian Journal of Psychology that closely monitored facial expressions. Once the emotion reaches consciousness, however, men adopt a poker face. When young, boys likely learn to hide emotions that culture considers unmanly. But tamping down emotions also spurs the body's fight or flight response. A man's strong reaction and subsequent suppression may ready him to handle a threat, theorized in the 2008 study researchers at the Lund University in Sweden conducted. It also is problematic because now men grow up thinking that expressing their emotions is a sign of weakness and that can cause a whole array of toxic masculinity traits. Hustle, hustle.
that is going to wrap us up for this week of the jones chronicles if you have any subjects topics things you want me to uh bring to the world's attention certainly reach out to me on any of my social medias they're below or send an email to blackercouch at gmail.com until the next time peace hair grease blacker magic Correct.